Our text for today is the Gospel lesson. You see it on the back side of your worship folder. I'm going to read it in its entirety now, and we're going to also come back in kind of an expository fashion and go through it one more time just to help it sink in. But as the Holy Gospel is recorded in the sixth chapter of Mark, beginning at the 14th verse, where it says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. Another said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and found him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a, judge, a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king of the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came back and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So far, the reading of God's word. You know, there is an epidemic that is loose in our world today. It's not a physical disease, uh, but it's an epidemic that is far worse. It's that terrible reality that many in our, people in our country know what God expects, yet stubbornly refuse to listen and stubbornly refuse to obey. For example, people in this country know that adultery is wrong, that murder is wrong, that stealing is wrong, yet they kind of chuck God's word to the side and they pursue their own desires. If you watch much television, I mean, God's moral and righteous laws have become kind of comedy fodder for late-night comedians and many television shows. I mean, God's standards seem to be consistently eroded away by people who are unwilling to live by his ways. I'm going to suggest one reason for that. It may surprise you. I think one reason for all this mess is Christians. Does that surprise you at all? I think that's one reason for the mess we're in today is because of people like you and I who are at least calling ourselves Christians. But maybe more accurately, I should say, it's Christians that enjoy listening to God's word, 
but allow it to go no further than their ears. In fact, the Bible even says there's going to come a time when people only want to hear what kind of itches their ears, what kind of tickles their ears. But it never gets from the head to the heart and eventually to the hands and feet. Many Christians have shown this world by their lifestyle that Christianity is just something to listen to and not really something to live. Now, to those kinds of people, God has some pretty strong words. They've deceived themselves. In fact, if you've got your Bible, you might want to open it to James chapter 122 and actually underline this and mark it in your Bible where it, it says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Or as I have said to many people in my time in the ministry, what part of the word obey do you not understand? See, God's word is, is really one of the most incredible things in this entire world. I mean, in the pages of God's word, God has chosen to spoke to this race. I mean, we have got an entire backstory called the Old Testament where God has shown us what he does in creation, but shows us the heights from which we have fallen and then the helplessness of our, our attempts to actually save ourselves. And then in the New Testament, he shows us the answer that he's provided us in his son and now how he expects us to live. And we share this good news. And the good news is that God has broken into this world and he's got another kingdom in store for us someday. And our job is to take along as many people with us as we possibly can, but not to live such lives as if we are saying to other people, we really don't care whether you come with us or not because we're in. See, if this world only had one book, maybe you've been asked that question. I've been asked that question every once in a while. You're stranded on a desert island. You know, what books would you want there with you? I had one friend said, books? Can I get a TV? Well, you know, if you want an idiot box on a desert island where there's no electricity or cable, I suppose that'd be okay. But, you know, if the world only had one book, it would have to be the Bible. Now, you might say, I'd get tired of reading it. Well, I have a good friend. His name is Dr. Harry Went. And, uh, you know, one time after pressuring him a little bit, we kept saying, how many times, Dr. Went, have you actually read the Bible cover to cover? And he never really wanted to say. But he finally, we pushed him hard enough. He said, well, I stopped counting at 100. Now, uh, 100... Wouldn't that book get a little bit old? And he goes, oh, no, not at all. Now, I don't know exactly. I've never really kept track of how many times I've read through it. I try to do it every year. And some years I try to go through a two-year cycle. I'm in a two-year cycle now. And I still run across Bible stories that for some reason I go, wow, I didn't remember that. Or I'll see something different. It's kind of like a diamond. If you hold it up to the light and you kind of turn it, it has different facets to it. Yet for all of its greatness, the Bible seems to be powerless unless people actually believe it and then put it into practice what they hear and what they read. And I believe that there are many Christians in this world, I don't care if you want to put Christians in quotation, I'm just going to use that word, that know what the Bible teaches. I mean, they know, they've been taught. I mean, some people like me, I went from kindergarten through college in Lutheran schools. In the kindergarten through eighth grade at St. John's Lutheran Grade School in Seward, Nebraska. High school, Concordia Lutheran High School on the campus of Concordia Teachers College in Seward, Nebraska. Seminary education at Concordia 
seminary in Fort Wayne. I mean, I have been through all of this. I know what the Bible teaches. And on Sundays, I have sat in front of a lot of different preachers over the years uh, who have proclaimed the word of God. And there have been, I don't know how many Sundays or Saturday nights or special services that I've stood in pulpits somewhere in the States or around this world. And I proclaimed it to other people and talk about how to live by it. But sometimes, and I'm going to admit to this like other people, there are some times when, even though I do it on Sunday morning, the rest of the week sometimes kind of denies that I know anything about it. Now, what good is it, this is one pastor said one time, says, to raise our hands on Sunday and then just raise hell the rest of the week. I mean, the end result of anyone who listens to the word but doesn't obey it is the same as a person who just flat out refuses to hear it in the first place. Now, to illustrate this, I want to walk you through a man's life today, a man's life who really enjoyed hearing God's word, but he never, ever really thought about obeying it. So this may be the very first sermon you've ever heard about King Herod. We're going to look at today's gospel reading. We're going to begin back at verse 16. And as our passage begins, word has been spreading about Jesus and all of the miraculous uh, miracles he's been doing. And many people thought Jesus was a prophet of old who came back. But you see these words. It says, but when Herod heard this, he said, no, no, it's not Elijah. This is John, the man I beheaded. He's raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Isn't that interesting? He enjoyed listening to a hellfire and damnation preacher. Well, that's really kind of our first point today. He listened. I mean, he actually listened to the message. And the story of Herod is really one of the great soap operas, if you will, in the Bible. I mean, with so many Herods, though, in the Bible, I want to help you kind of make the story a little clear. The Herod that was alive at the time when Jesus was born, the one who killed all the little babies in Bethlehem, was known as Herod the Great. So you got Herod the Great. After Herod the Great's death, uh, his kingdom, and it really wasn't his kingdom, the Romans allowed him to govern this land, it was divided amongst his three sons. He had three boys. He had Philip, he had Antipas, and he had Archelaus. Now, interesting enough, none of them went by those names. They all went by the name of Herod. So for less confusion, we're going to call them Herod Philip, Herod Antipas, and Herod Archelaus. Now, Herod the Great, the big guy, also had a fourth son. His name was Aristobulus. And this is where the story begins to kind of play like a daytime drama. Aristobulus, the fourth boy, had a daughter. His daughter's name was Herodias. You've heard her name in the story already. This daughter went and married her uncle, Herod Philip. Now, you already got, you're probably already thinking, what, married your uncle? 
That sounds a little weird. Now, during this time, Herod Antipas, that's another one, also married the daughter of a neighboring king. But on a trip to Rome, Herod Antipas meets Herodias, who is married to Herod Philip. You all with me yet so far? It's all very clear, clear like mud. Now, supposedly on the trip to Rome, they fell in love and both of them promptly divorced their spouses in favor of pursuing this brand new love interest. So in this story, we have a niece marrying her uncle only to divorce him to marry another uncle. It sounds like something out of the hills of Kentucky, doesn't it? But see, it was because of this adulterous relationship that really got John all worked up. And we talked about this in Bible class. I'm sure this morning John was hopping mad when he heard about this. And John had some really strong words against Herod Antipas and his new bride, Herodias. And John, he fearlessly preached against this relationship. Now, first of all, because they were closely related, and that was forbidden by God's law. And second, they were both married to somebody else at that time. So without any moral grounds for divorce, they were both living in adultery in God's eyes. And with these strong words, John preached a message that we see in the opening chapters of Mark's gospel. And his message was one of repentance and turning away from sin. Now, what John was doing was calling on people to live in righteous expectation of the coming Messiah. He was the forerunner. He's talking about Jesus, his own cousin who is to come. And John expected Herod Antipas and his lover Herodias to do the same. Now, Herodias was, well, what would we say, a little ticked off by that. Her response was one of great anger. The word tells us clearly she wanted to kill John. But Herod's response was a little bit different. Herod actually liked listening to John. I think it's kind of a strange little statement in the Bible, in the middle of the story. John is basically preaching hellfire and brimstone, and Herod seems to love every last minute of it. And I think in this way, many people and many Christians in this world, the word of God is pretty exciting. Uh, A lot of people like to hear about it. I mean, again and again, there are articles about the Bible and different aspects of it. You see it all on covers of major news magazines and news articles. I mean, Bible's brought up all the time. Uh, Some of you may remember the Left Behind series even a few years ago, which even though it's fiction and not biblical, uh, basically it teaches about the end times. It consistently made the bestseller list. Uh, You have conferences today with big-name Bible teachers that are almost always sold out. It seems that people really enjoy hearing about the Word of God. Now, some people will actually take it a step further. Instead of just listening to it, they'll actually begin to do what Herod did next. He actually thought about it. He actually enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. Who knows, maybe he actually went down and sat in his cell with him or sat on the stool outside of his cell. And it said, even though he he liked listening, he was puzzled by what he heard. Now, the Greek word for puzzle kind of means that you think about something without ever actually being able to figure it out. So as Herod went about his business after hearing what John had told him, he kind of wandered around. The words were kind of echoing in his ears. 
He thought about it. He kind of turned it around in his mind, but he could never quite get what John was saying. And I have a feeling that John was pretty clear, but he still, for some reason, he, he couldn't figure it out. Now, stranger still was that John's words, I think, surely convicted him of the sin that he was living in. I think Herod walked around feeling really, really guilty for what he was doing. Now, the Bible tells us, again, that Herod viewed John as being a holy and righteous man. Every day, John's holiness, every day, John's message were a conviction upon Herod's life. Now, I like the way the message translation uh, translates these verses. It said, Herod was in awe of John. Convinced that he was a holy man, he gave him special treatment. Whenever he listened to him, he was miserable with guilt, and yet he couldn't stay away. Something in John kept pulling him back. Isn't that interesting? Even though John's message brought conviction and puzzled him greatly, Herod seemed to come back all the time. He was still listening. And again, I suggest you that there's a great many people in our world today who have this, have this in common with Herod. They love biblical things. Some people uh, actually enjoy what some people would call old-fashioned, hard-line preaching. They like that hellfire and damnation, you know, so that, that, that the pastor would just like drag you right up to the precipice of, of hell and hold you over the burner for about 30, 40, 50 minutes and yell at you. You know, and they kind of feel good about it for a while. Now, I came across an Internet site recently uh, where a guy actually has a museum of old record albums. And these are these LPs. You remember those things, the LPs, which are now kind of coming back into style again. Uh, and he's, he's got a museum of cover art. And if you've got some of the old LPs like I kept, I mean, for example, you've got Iron Butterflies in the God of the Vita. That'll, that'll date you. I got, that's a, a beautiful cover art on the front of that. Uh, now, along with the covers on his website, uh, he usually includes a brief paragraph about the record. And so as I was kind of scrolling over these covers, I was surprised that he had an entire section of religious albums. And by his comments, as I read through them, I kind of thought that this guy probably was not a Christian. That's kind of my judgment just reading it. Yet he made mention of the fact on numerous occasions that he really kind of liked to listen to these albums. And he actually listened to some of them many, many times. And they even made him think enough about it to write the paragraph. But you could kind of tell it never went any further than that. So Herod, too, had all the opportunities to respond to God's word. John's messages were God's word. For Herod, and yet after listening, he never responded. And friends, I, I'm sure maybe you already know this. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but guess what? I've discovered over years sometimes the choir even needs to be preached to. And that's what, when one does not respond to the Word of God, accept it in its truth and purity, and then obey it, they leave themselves open to the influences of the sinful world, the sinful ideas and the sinful desires that are out there. And for Herod, that's exactly what happened to him. What was more important to him than the word of God? It was his pride. His pride was more important. Go back to verse 21. It says, finally, the opportune time came on his birthday. 
Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Now she goes on and she says to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answers. At once the girl hurried into the king with her request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on the platter. The king was greatly distressed. Why? Because of his oaths, because of his dinner guests. But he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. You know, as I read through this text many times before deciding to actually preach on this text, I thought, if Herod would have just responded to the word of God, Things would have been a whole lot different, but he didn't. And wicked plans were set in motion. And while he really enjoyed listening to John, I mean, Herodias hated his guts. And so when Herod's birthday comes along, she sets in motion this plan to kill the Baptist. Now, knowing her husband's lust, and I'm going to put it that way, proven by the fact that he actually pursued her anyway, she sends in her daughter, who would have been about 16 years old, to do a dance, to dance provocatively uh, for Herod and his guests. Now, dancing of this sort, parading people out like this, is rather degrading. Some of you may even remember the story of Esther, where uh, the king wanted his wife to come around and parade her beauty, and she told him, no way, Jack, I'm not doing that, because we don't do those things. That's why he got rid of her and had the new queen contest. That's another sermon for another day. But... We see how far Herodias was willing to go to kill John and how wicked Herod was that he allowed a royal daughter, not even his own daughter, to display herself in such a way. And when the dance ended, Herod's pride got the best of him. He wanted to impress everybody there that were celebrating, so he makes this bold offer that the daughter can have anything she wants, even up to half his kingdom. And I got to tell you, that was a really stupid offer. Why? Because Herod was not a true king. And he really didn't have any kingdom to offer. That land wasn't his. It belonged to the Romans. Yet he wanted to feel big. He wanted to feel important in the eyes of his guests. And to his surprise, the daughter comes back at Mama's urging and says, I want John's head on a platter. And now poor Herod finds himself in a bind. This was not some request that he was going to able, be able to say, hey, I was only kidding. By asking for it on a platter, the daughter was really asking that she wanted his head right now to be a part of this celebration. So Herod had one more choice. He had one more choice to listen and obey the word that he had heard. Now, he should have humbled himself in front of his guests. He should have refused to give in to this stupid promise he'd made. Instead, he had an innocent man murdered just so he could save face. It was his pride. And it was his pride that killed. And this is really the defining moment for Herod. 
when he ignored the word. And see, I'm kind of always drawn back to the fact that he he enjoyed listening to the truth that John preached, yet he was never willing to actually accept it, believe it, and obey it. And because of that, we have two dead people when this party is over. John, who is the forerunner of Jesus, has been executed, and Herod has just committed spiritual suicide. Now, Herod pops up again, by the way. We see Herod again in the scriptures, and it comes in Luke chapter 23. As we kind of draw this to a close, let me just read this to you. It says, this takes place as Jesus is being tried. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, this Herod, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. I'm not sure he would have listened anyway. He didn't listen to the word of God from John. And it says that the chief priests then and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. So what do we all boil this all down to? We ask the Lutheran question, what does this mean? Well, I think about this story, and I think how the word had been preached to Herod. And I know that Sunday after Sunday in churches across this land, across this world, I mean, God willing, and I pray to God that the word of God is preached in its truth and its purity. It's there for people to hear. I mean, typically churches not only have services where the pastor proclaims the word of God, but they've also got Bible studies where you can, you can be involved in that too. I mean, you can turn on your television most any day of the week and probably hear somebody preaching the word of God. Now, you always have to have a certain amount of discernment no matter what you're hearing and no matter who's teaching you here. I mean, you need to be Bereans. Even if you're Missouri Synod Lutherans, you need to be Bereans to go back and say, is this actually match up with what God's word really says? But it's there to be heard. Have you ever heard a sermon where it just really convicted you? Oh, I remember preaching a sermon back at Lord of Life one time about hell. I said I was going to preach... Next two weeks of sermon. One sermon one week on hell, the next week on heaven. I remember that Sunday. Three services, people walking out one. I was after the sermon on hell. It was like they had been drugged to the precipice and hung over the edge. I mean, they were so greatly relieved to come back the next week and hear about heaven. I mean, I've heard sermons, too, where I thought, man, the pastor must have sat up all week thinking about me. Well, that's a little bit arrogant to think that, because quite often pastors aren't thinking about any particular person when they're writing this. And if truth be told, they may be thinking more about themselves and how this message applies to them. And I, mean, I will tell you that, that often many sermons I write are directed towards me, things I need to be reminded of myself. But have you ever felt convicted by a sermon? It really spoke to you. And did you really give some thought to it then as you walked away and rode home and 
maybe even talked about it in the car with whoever you came with or during the week. It just stirred in your heart. And then before that stirring went away, you actually thought, nah. Did that ever happen to you where you just said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do what he said. I know. But maybe I should ask, how many times has it stirred in your heart and you said, that wasn't just the pastor talking. That was God talking to me. And I really do need to obey it. See, poor Herod, he heard it. He felt convicted. He thought about it. But he was the one who said, nah, not going to do it. That's why I pray, in this last couple of weeks, I've been praying that our nation would kind of come to its senses. Uh, that we, who have been so privileged for so many years to hear the word of God preached predominantly in his truth and purity across churches in this nation, would actually listen to what's being preached and not try to impose one's thoughts on it. And what we hear it preached, whether it's in a small church in Mineral Wells, whether it's in a big church in like Willow Creek in South Barrington, Illinois, or whether it's preached in a church of several hundred thousand people in Seoul, Korea, that people would not only hear God's word, but that that word would fall like something fresh in their lives, like rain on a dry day. And it would touch their hearts, and they would think about it, and they would be stirred, and that they would act on it. I pray, friends, uh, I prayed this morning as I was looking at this message last time, and one of the things I, I, I actually found myself saying is, Lord, don't ever let me be like Herod. Don't ever let me be like Herod. I never want to be the kind of person that just hears your word and then just kind of walk away as if nothing has happened or nothing has changed. It was Jesus who said, what, blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what we want to pray Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is true. We know it's true. Your word tells us that holy men of God wrote this as they were moved to write it by the Holy Spirit. Your word also reminds us that uh, we need to be very careful about either adding to your word or subtracting from your word. That your word is there to be heard, to be listened to. It's there to bring about conviction. It's there to cause us to think deeply about it. And yet we know that we need to put it into action. Refusing to do any of those is to disobey it. Lord, in every possible way, may we take your word and apply it to our lives and obey it wholeheartedly with great desire. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, who is the Word, who became flesh. Amen.